We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 3 this evening, and uh, we'll just continue where we have been on Sunday evenings. If you don't uh, typically watch, if you're watching online, you don't typically watch on Sunday evening. Well, we've been working through 1 Timothy, and so there's a number of sermons there on the YouTube channel. You can catch yourself up to uh, where we're at and, uh, and then come back to this, this, uh, this sermon here. But uh, we'll carry on with what we've been doing on Sunday evenings, which is working through 1 Timothy. And we've been in chapter 3 now for two weeks looking at the qualifications for pastors uh, or elders or overseers, all uh, titles referring to the same person in office. And uh, we finished looking at that last or this past Sunday evening. And so we'll pick up this evening in verse 8, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 8 to 13 this evening. Um, although I already know we're not going to make it through all of it this evening. I have way too many notes and not enough time. And I already took you over on Sunday evening, and so I've been told I can't do that again tonight. And so uh, we're, we're going to stick to that. Uh, you can just, you know, shut the lights off at 8 o'clock, whatever you need to do. And uh, <laughs> the red X. So, all right. Well, this evening we pick up in verse 8, the verses 13, which as you're probably familiar with, or if you're not, these are now the qualifications of deacons, another office of the church, two offices which we recognize, or Scripture recognizes, which is the office of uh, pastor or elder, and then the office of deacon. And uh, Paul writes to Timothy these words. I'll read these verses to you, and then we'll look at uh, them here this evening. But Paul writes, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, <clears throat> let their wives, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own homes well, houses well, excuse me. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, as we look at this passage this evening, uh, I'll note in a moment, but I'll just say now, you'll, there's certainly a uh, similarity between the qualifications that we find for deacons as well as uh, those of overseers, which we already looked at. And so when it comes to some of these qualifications, we won't look at them in as much detail in trying to define them because we've already done that to some extent. Uh, rather, I'll try to pull out some more practical application of these things or expressions of these qualifications in a deacon. But uh, first, I want to kind of... Uh, cause you to think on this question, which there's some technicality to it, so stick with me for a moment. 
But it's the question, and then trying to find the answer to this question of what is a deacon? What is a deacon? And uh, the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, uh, which means servant or minister. And the verb form would mean to serve, one who serves. In the New Testament, the word uh, is used, can be used generally to refer to a person who is a literally a waiter of tables, a servant of a master. It's also used to refer to a servant of Christ. Uh, Colossians 1, 7 tells us this. 1 Timothy 4, 6 also uh, uses the word to refer to this kind of person. Um, in fact, referring to Timothy, Paul says this in chapter 4, verse 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good diakonos, or servant, or minister of Jesus Christ. Um, it can also be used, be used to refer to a servant of the Lord, you know, similar to that of a servant, the servant of Christ, same thing. We see this in Ephesians 6, 21, as well as Colossians 4, 7. It's also used to refer to a servant of the apostles. We see this in Colossians 1, 7. And then also used to refer to a servant of the church. And also an interesting one is in Romans chapter 13, which I'll read this. Uh, it can be used to refer to someone who, who serves God as a government authority. And you maybe are recalling, recalling in your minds this, these, this passage in Romans 13. Um, <clears throat> Romans chapter 13, I'll just read a few verses here. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring uh, judgment on themselves. Um, for rulers are, are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be un, unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For here it is, for he is God's diakonos, or minister, to, to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So this word deacon has, you can see it can be used in, in, very, uh, in various ways, not always referring to the official office of deacon, but in general just to a servant or of, of the Lord or a master of someone. And so uh, we need to recognize that in Scripture, and you know, that could be a, a kind of a word fallacy if you always think that it has the same meaning, the same usage in Scripture, and that's just not the case. And, and that's important to note because we'll talk about in a minute the qualifications for deacons' wives. And uh, not all take it to mean that. Some take it to mean that um, referring to deaconesses, women who serve as in the official office of deacon, and, and they use examples uh, in Scripture of other women who served as, as a servant or a minister of Christ. And so I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but just to set the table kind of here that, um, no pun intended here, with the idea of waiting on tables, but the idea that this can be used in various ways. Now, uh, so we've talked about here kind of the noun, the noun use of it to refer to someone who's, who's a servant or a minister, but it's also 
Uh, there's also the verb form, which means, as you might expect, to serve or to minister. And it refers to one who attends to the wants and needs of others. And there's numerous scriptures I have here, and I can share these notes with you if you're interested in them, uh, where this, is, this word is used in this way, um, and, uh, in the Gospels and also uh, in Acts in some of the pastoral epistles. So it can refer to one who attends to the wants and needs of others, as well as one who helps serve food or drink, uh, literally waiting on tables and serving the food, the elements there. And um, this this use of it, this verb use, is actually seen in our passage this evening in in verse 10, where um, he says to to Timothy, uh, but let these, that is the deacons or prospective deacons also be also first be tested then let them serve as deacons so the act of serving that they're doing here is mentioned in verse 10 now as i alluded to above the noun form is often used in the new testament to generally to refer generally to anyone who functions as a servant of someone or something um you know, it's, uh, you can be a servant of more than a person. You could be a servant of money, servant of some material master, servant perhaps you could say even of the devil. And so, um, so you could be a servant of, of multiple different people or things. We must realize that the general uses of the word deacon, though, are distinct from the the employment of this term to refer to specific members of a church who hold the God-ordained office of deacon. And uh, <clears throat> so what I mean by that is, you know, there's the general uses, but then there's also the particular use of the term to refer to the specific office that's God-ordained and uh, only for those who meet the qualifications, which we're looking at here this evening. And um, you might ask this question, you know, where, where are these two offices lay, uh, you know, called out or specifically the office of, of deacon? Well, if you go to Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 1, I think I have, uh, yes, the right verse here. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, says this in verse 1, uh, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi with the bishops or pastors and deacons. And this word deacon here is referring to the specific God-ordained office, not just the general use of anyone who's serving or ministering. And so the office of deacon is what Paul has in mind then when he uses this term in our passage this evening in verses 8 and then again in 10 and 12 and also in verse 13. And this office is reserved, just like it is for elders, for those who meet certain qualifications, which we see here in the surrounding context. In this sense, then, as we're speaking about the official office of a deacon, a deacon is one who is appointed by the church with the responsibility to care for the needs of believers. That's one way you could could define it. And um, and so... uh, as we said with elders, you know, they, they are required to meet these certain qualifications because, I think, we can make a case from verses 14 and 15, which we did last time, that God desires to protect the church, who is the guardian of the truth, and therefore he, he guards this office 
so that not anyone and everyone can fill it, but only those who meet these certain qualifications, whose character is, is uh, above reproach, and uh, they demonstrate an ability to, uh, to serve in this office. Now, um, we've made a little bit of comparison now between pastors and deacons, that there is some similarity, at least when it comes to the qualifications. And so I asked the second question, not only what are deacons, we've made a small case for what they are, I think, and, uh, but also this question, how are pastors and deacons similar yet distinct? Well, like pastors, deacons must also, as we've said, meet certain qualifications. And these qualifications are very similar, as we've read, to those in verses 1 to 7, with, of course, a few exceptions. And because of the similarity, I think it demonstrates that the character of a deacon is as important as the character of a pastor, as he must undergo the same careful scrutiny as a pastor before being appointed a deacon. And so um, I think that's just important for us to note, that uh, these aren't just second-tier men. (laughs) Rather, they're held the same kind of accountability and the same kind of necessary qualities as that of a pastor as church leadership. And so, you know, we're not just, we're not just going to fill the, sh- fill the shoes to fill them. Uh, rather, we're going to, with careful consideration and evaluation, choose those who have demonstrated godly conduct and meet these qualifications. In other words, we could say this, uh, they're similar in character but distinct in function. Similarity between the character of these men, but they're distinct in their function. Um, you know, we didn't really go over the, what are the responsibilities and duties of a pastor in our last two messages, but we, we recognize inherently that there are distinctions of a teaching and preaching kind of ministry and caring for the uh, shepherding the flock, whereas we just define deacons, they are specifically uh, appointed to, to meet and care for the needs of believers on a probably a financial sense, physical needs, and also spiritual needs as well, I think we can make a case for, as they can help in discipleship and counseling and, and so on and so forth. Now, just like the qualifications for a pastor, these qualities pertain to the individual's character, not particularly his, his duties as a deacon. Duties and responsibilities must be carried out well. We know this, and... Um, and we can make a case for this later on in verse 13. But the scripture plainly teaches that God's concern is not primarily ability or skill set, but spiritual virtue. We've, we've noted that uh, when in regard to pastors and now also deacons. God requires men whose hearts are right with him to hold these positions of church leadership. This implies that deacons performed a vital function in the church. Again, as we said a moment ago, uh, it's not just for any man, rather those who are uh, walking in, uh, in above reproach and have godly conduct. It is, a de- it is the deacon who is expressly told that a reward awaits those who serve well in this office and uh, further validating the fact that this is a, a vital function and important to the church, and we'll look at that in uh, verse 13 later on. Now, uh, 
we get then to the actual qualifications that uh, we find in this passage in verses 8 to 10 and 12 uh, for qualifications for deacons. And uh, Paul starts out similarly uh, to the kind of listing he gives for pastors, and he says this in verse 8, Likewise, deacons must be reverent. The word reverent means to be worthy of respect or honor, uh, noble, dignified, serious. It is not something, like we said before, that uh, can be commanded, but it is evoked through their good character so that uh, they are respected, they are honored, they, are, um, they demonstrate themselves as dignified and recognized as that by others in the church. Secondly, uh, Paul notes that they are not to be double-tongued, not double-tongued. Now, we probably don't use that word too often, um, that idea. But in other words, it's, he is not to be two-faced. He is, not to, uh, he is always to be sincere in what he says and does. He's not to say one thing to someone and you know, something different to another or, or say one thing and do something different not to be hypocritical. They must avoid the sin of flattery and speak the truth in love. They must be reliable in their words and actions as they seek to serve the needs of the church. If they are not, it undermines their ability and their qualification to serve in that capacity. The third qualification that Paul gives for deacons is this, that they are not to be given to wine. And we looked at this last time, so we're not going to belabor the point again. But deacons, like pastors, are forbidden from drunkenness. We know this from Ephesians 5.18. Literally, he cannot be devoted to much wine, is the idea here. Being intoxicated by, uh, by drink or by any other substance, we know can cloud one's judgment and ability to make good decisions, make good, wise, and and godly decisions. We also noted last time in regard to pastors, it has the ability to make one violent physically or verbally and can lead to all kinds of other sinful behavior when you're not in total control of yourself. And uh, it leaves ample opportunity for Satan to get in there and to, and to wreak his, his havoc. As I noted before, I, for pastors, I, I think that total abstinence is a wise practice for those, and specifically in church leadership, as they are to be exemplary in their character and set an example to others, which involves self-control, the, the virtue of self-control. And so uh, I think this is a wise practice that we ought to follow. The third qualification that Paul uh, writes here for deacons is that they are not to be greedy for money, not greedy for money. Deacons are therefore to be characterized, uh, or not to be characterized, as being greedy for financial gain. And why is this, though? You know, this is a reoccurring qualification for pastors and also for deacons. You know, what is the danger of greed for money? Or put it another way, what, what could be the hindrances be if someone is greedy for money in church leadership? Well, greed for money could cause one to lack the kind of generosity that God requires and desires from us because perhaps in their minds that generosity has little or no financial profit and so they say you know why why would we do this you know it doesn't seem doesn't seem right doesn't seem 
you know, the facts don't line up. And so if you have this kind of greed for money and financial gain without the perspective of, of, of God's desire for generosity and that uh, these finances are, are from God ultimately and for God's ministry, then it could lead to uh, wrong action or inaction uh, when it comes to finances that the church has. Greed for money could also lead to partiality uh, by the deacons if they show special treatment of the, uh, for the needs of those who perhaps are bigger givers in the church. So, well, we've got to meet their needs uh, because, you know, we don't want to lose their, uh, their offering on Sunday. And so, you know, we show some favoritism towards them, you know. And uh, that's not to be the case, but that could be those act, that kind of action could be driven by the de- desire for you know financial gain on part of the church. A deacon must be someone who stewards the resources God has given the church in keeping with the priority of God's purpose for the church: making disciples, evangelizing, sending out missionaries, uh, all necessary parts of God's program, and which at the end of the day, require often some financial kind of uh, involvement. And, uh, you know, we have to, you know, we're planning for VBS. Well, it requires some, some uh, monetary uh, payments to get the resources and to have them uh, and to have some excellent resources. And so we pay that because we know that it has a, a ministerial profit and gain for us. A deacon is to demonstrate wisdom regarding wealth, but that's not, not what I mean by that is not that, you know, he's only to think about how he can get more money and save more money, but rather he is to show a spiritual kind of wisdom in regard to wealth, not showing dependence or desire in wealth itself, rather, you know, trying to think how we can best use it for, for God's purposes. Um, Think of uh, just a passage in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 30. Uh, There's a a proverb on this, this idea of how to think about wealth and not to be dependent or desirous of it, ultimately. And um, I'm thinking now, I might not have the right passage, but let me look. Proverbs chapter 30. Oh, yeah, uh, verses 7 and 9. This is the words of Agur, the son of Jekah, a wise man. And he says this, verse 7 to 9, Two things I request of you. Deprive not me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. In other words, you know, lest I have all I need and forget about you. And say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal. So the point of poverty in which he now no longer obeys God's word, but rather takes what's not his. And therefore, he says, and profane the name of my God. And so what the, uh, the, 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 the Agor here is trying to, uh, to teach us, I think, is that we are not to depend upon wealth ultimately or have great desire for it. Rather, we're to depend upon the Lord and trust in him. And only ask for what we really need, and, you know, in one sense, no less and and no more. 
Now, um, and so in that sense, as we go back to 1 Timothy 3, deacons are not to be greedy for money. Now, there's an interesting verse, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll uh, end on this qualification here in verse 9 and pick up the rest next time. But uh, Paul says this of deacons, they are to be holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, with a pure conscience. What exactly does this mean? It's, you know, at first glance, it may not be quite easy to parse through this and figure out, you know, what, what is Paul telling us about deacons? Well, a deacon must, this is how I kind of summarize this or rephrase it, a deacon must believe the truths of the gospel and live a life that conforms to the faith in which he professes to believe. Let me say that again. What Paul means by holding fast the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience is that deacons must believe the truths of the gospel, so they've embraced it as the truth, and their life is conducted in a way that conforms to the faith in which they, you know, they proclaim to believe in. To hold with a pure conscience doesn't merely mean, you know, they hold it without, without doubt, rather that he must also live a life worthy of the Christian calling. So uh, this idea of a pure conscience is that, you know, there's nothing within him, within him that would accuse him, uh, nothing in his life, let me put it that way, that would accuse him of not holding fast to, to the gospel truths. Um, and so, you know, his life is conf- in conformity to what he believes to be the truth. Just because uh, the deacons may be tasked to do more practical ministries rather than perhaps more of the, the teaching and evangelistic ministries that pastors hold, this does not mean that their spiritual life is unimportant. And that's what Paul is showing us here in verse 9, that you know, these aren't just you know, laborers, practical, you know, laborers in practical matters like you know, fixing up the building and uh, you know, sweeping the carpets and you know, whatever else may be. Rather, there is, there's, an, there's a, an importance placed upon their spiritual life that uh, Paul is calling out here. Why does he do this? Well, it may be this. It may be tempting for us as a church to appoint deacons who are simply skillful and practical in practical matters, practical ways. Um, you know, they may be good with finances. Again, they may be, you know, handy around the church. They may you know, have some kind of other skill set, a practical skill set that would be beneficial to some areas of the church, uh, administrative-wise or whatever the case may be, at, at the same time then overlooking their spiritual life, you know, because we've allowed their, their practical skill sets to over, outweigh the importance of their spiritual life. We don't want to be like that, uh, though tempting as it may be at times, because, you know, we... We love to have people serve around the church in those practical ways. Rather, though, we want to appoint deacons who know and embrace the truth of God's word and apply that truth to their ministries and their own lives and then also to the lives of those they're ministering to. And so that's why Paul puts such an importance here in verse 9 on their own personal faith and the outworking of it in their own life as they minister to the needs of others in the church. Now, uh, we're running out of time here, so uh, let me just note this, that after Paul, uh, Paul will call out a few more qualifications in verses 
9 and 10. And then he's going to turn to the wives of deacons in verse 11. And we're going to see here that there are also certain qualifications that are required of them. And then he turns, uh, he turns back to, uh, to, the, to the deacons in verse 12 with a few more qualifications. And then he ends in verse 13 with two rewards, two rewards for deacons who serve well. And I want to just read verse 13 again um, and, uh, and just kind of let you think on that until next time and what exactly this means. And uh, I'd, I'd be glad to hear any of your thoughts even between now and then and, um, and how it applies uh, to, to deacons and to the church as a whole. But Paul says this in verse 13, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so I'll just note the two rewards are this. One, they obtain a good standing. And uh, two, they gain great boldness in the faith. And what what exactly those mean, uh, we'll look at next time. Uh, But until then, I'll leave it to you to ponder and think about and mull over for uh, another few days or a week here. But let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, we pray that uh, we would understand clearly uh, what you require of church leadership. We've tried to take careful attention of what's required of pastors and now deacons, Lord. And I just want to give a, take a moment and just give thanks to you, Lord, for, for placing in our ministry in the years past many deacons who have, uh, I believe, obtained those rewards because they have served so well. Lord, and I don't even have the privilege of knowing all the deacons that have served in this church in the last few decades, but I do know of a few of them, and I'm thankful for the ones who, um, who have served and are serving. Lord, may you help them. May they maintain these qualities in their life, Lord, and be blameless in every area, just as, requ- is, as is required of, of, of the pastors of this church as well. Lord, uh, may you bless now your people as they go and the fellowship that we have, and uh, cause us and allow us, Lord, we pray, if it be your will, to meet on Friday to remember, Lord, your, your death, this death of your son on the cross, and then on Sunday to, um, to uh, give thanks and, to, and give praise that, Lord, uh, that uh, death had no power over Christ, but you overpowered it, proclaiming yourself victorious over sin and death and uh, giving us hope of our own salvation and of our future resurrection, Lord, and the resurrection of those who have gone before us. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.